Thank you to Scott for leading us in communion this morning. It is a blessing, as he said. We're getting back to feeling more normal, which I'm very excited about and thankful for the opportunity to walk around in the lobby. It feels really crazy, but it's, it's a, it is a blessing. And uh, we're so thankful that those of you who are online are still joining us uh, online as well. But we're also thankful to be able to be coming to a little bit more normalcy, which, which is uh, very exciting. And we're just thankful that the numbers continue to look good in, in LA County. And uh, we're thankful for the ways that we've continued to listen to uh, medical professionals, but that it keeps getting better and better. So please continue to, to pray for that. Uh, thank you again to those who are joining us in line and uh, online and in person. We're continuing our series called Villains, thinking about some of the villains in Scripture because it's easy for us, I think, to sometimes identify with the heroes of, of Scripture. And we actually look at the stories of some of those people. They're not all that great, so we learn from them at kind of their high moments and also their low moments. But I think back in the day, at least, like for us as kids, I remember going to VBSs and thinking about all these great like characters and these heroic people. But we also learn a lot from the, the villains of Scripture and the way that, honestly, sometimes they're really found in us. There was a humanities professor from Columbia University in New York named Andrew Del Banco, and he decided to do a research project where he went around to AA meetings uh, actually around the country, and he found, uh, just wanted to see, like, what is the gist of what's happening here? He ended up writing a really fantastic book about it, and he writes about one of his first experiences. He was in New York at an AA meeting in the basement of a church, and there was this guy who was standing there, and he was in his 30s, dressed really well. He said he didn't know what kind of work he, was, he had done, but he looked like he was straight off of Wall Street and, you know, was dressed really, really nicely, and this guy is describing, saying, you know, like, oh, yeah, I have a problem with alcohol, but, and then he goes on to say, but, you know, it's because of this that happened with my parents, or, like, this is going on, or, you know, my wife's not all that great. And he goes on and on about these things that um, he has, has faced or things that he's, like, dealt with that in a lot of ways has led to his struggle. And he, he ends up saying, like, the reason he's in these AA meetings is to get back at some people who've let him down, and it's not all that great of a motivation uh, to be there. And as Dabanko was listening to this story, there was a mid-40s African-American man, he remembers, who leaned over to him and said, I used to be like that. And that was before I achieved low self-esteem. And Dabanko actually wrote a lot of his book just off that one sentence. I used to be that way, you know, blaming everybody else for everything until I achieved low self-esteem. And he went on to define this a bit in his book. He said, by low self-esteem, the man in the dreadlocks did not mean that the young man should come to hate himself. He meant that the well-dressed young man was lost in himself. Until he could admit that he was a very flawed human being, a sinner, he would never be liberated to see his own flaws in their true light, to forgive those who had wronged him, or to humbly receive forgiveness for himself and from others. And I love that line there, that he was lost in himself. And I can't help but think that I'm with you all on this. We are often lost in ourselves in the way that we live today. Part of that, I think, has to do with technology. Technology is a great blessing, and it's awesome, but you can know your heart rate right now if you have the right app for it, right? And, you know, they could get these little lures. There's so many things that you could know that you never even knew before. It's so easy for us to get lost in ourselves and to not spend time, like, like really being where we need to be. 
My son is playing t-ball right now, which has been a lot of fun. And I intentionally, as we're doing t-ball together, I leave my phone at home for that time. And I got to tell you, that is the best hours of my week, every week. Because it's just so easy. Just get lost. So one piece of advice I would give all of you is just whatever it is for you, whether it's, you know, being at the park just for an hour a week, just get off technology and just go sit somewhere for a while. And just recognize the beauty that's around you because we're just lost in ourselves and I think it's killing us. And I think it's easy for us as we get in those frames of mind to not like, actually face like, what's really going on in our lives and to just tell stories that aren't really true or aren't all that helpful. We see some characters in Scripture in a story that's really hard to understand in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2 and then in Acts chapter 4, we see the birth of the church. And the church is incredible. At the end of Acts chapter 2 and then in Acts chapter 4, as it's described, Acts chapter 4 says it this way. This is very similar to what it says in Acts chapter 2. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of the possessions that they had were their own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that they all there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And as you read that passage, again, it describes it very similarly in Acts chapter 2. Don't you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I want to be part of something like that? Like that is a community that I would sign up for. That's a community that's worth, you know, doing something about. It's it's beautiful. And I'm, I'm thankful for the ways that our church has embodied this. Over the last year, there have been several times when some people in our church community have mentioned financial needs that they have, and we have had a chance to, to raise money for, for rent and to help people who are like literally in need in this last year because of COVID. So I'm thankful for the ways that you have been generous and you are doing this. But as you read this passage, don't you just like want more of that kind of thing? where you know, people are known, where their needs are met, where we are part of this, this community that's changing the world. And I think one of the reasons that the early church was able to do this is they had the blueprint of Jesus's life, obviously so recent, and they knew like this is what Jesus would have, have wanted. And they considered themselves like the temple of the Holy Spirit, and they were upholding all that together. And so what they had is just so precious. And then Acts chapter 5 happens. In Acts 5, we get the first story of what I would call like church getting real and the brokenness of people coming into the picture. Because in some ways, these passages are like, wow, like these are just amazing people all doing this together. But Acts chapter 5, as scholars will say that in Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters the world, they call that like the fall of humanity. But in Acts chapter 5, they call it the fall of the church when these two characters named Ananias and Sapphira show up. And it's right on the heels of this passage. It just said that people are selling their land and they're giving all that they have over to the church. And so Acts chapter five, verses one through 11 tells us this. A man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the property for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. 
Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, and apparently his wife wasn't super popular in the women's ministry because nobody warned her about this. Not knowing what had happened, Peter said, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land that you sold? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear had seized the whole church and those who heard about those events. And right now might be a great time to mention that online giving is easier than ever. So... <laughs> So there's this story, and if you're reading, and if you're familiar with the Bible, like, you would read this and go, hold on, this belongs in the Old Testament, not the New Testament, right? Like, there's some stuff like this that happens in the Old Testament, you know, where, you know, somebody dies, and it's really dramatic, but this is one of those stories you just go, hold on, like, wait, God's still like this? And what about Jesus? And I also want to say, you know, Peter is in this, like, seat of authority, and that's great, and it's awesome that God redeemed him, but it's like, wow, Peter, like... Remember the whole denying Jesus three times? Like, that wasn't that long ago, right? Like, let's think about grace. And we actually, I think it's presented that they gave at least a good chunk of what they got for the land. Everyone else had, you know, sold everything, but they are, like, giving at least a portion of this. And that is an unbelievable gift. In that time, your blessing from God was very much tied to your land. I know for us, like we move around a lot and like perhaps you're in a place and you want to eventually get to another place, but it's not really that significant. The, the land that you're on, you're, you're thankful that you have it hopefully, but it's not as significant as it was then. In that time, like that was tied to your blessing. If you had land, like it was a blessing from God and it was really supposed to be in your family for generations. So it shows like some unbelievable thing had happened that many of these Jewish believers were like selling their land and then just turning it over to the church because something very significant had happened. And for Ananias and Sapphira, like, they sold it, and at least they're given something. At least, you know, they're giving a chunk of what they had. I think what you see in this story is something that I actually see all the time in the church. And no, I haven't seen like the communion tray being passed and someone like dying right after they didn't give enough. I haven't seen that. <laughs> but what's interesting is you actually read this story and just like read it perhaps with fresh eyes, perhaps it's the first time you've ever heard this story. It doesn't say that God killed Ananias or Sapphira. It says that they died. But it doesn't say that God killed them. And I think of this story as one that, that should make us, as we think about what it looks like to follow Jesus, aware that we all have a ways to go still. 
And that as we consider what it looks like for us to follow Jesus with our lives, we have to have a bit of awareness to understand that it costs a lot. And that as you are part of a faith community, as you, you know, try to do this with other Christians, I hope that you really like deeply consider that as you lie about things or you manipulate the truth, that you like really consider what it is that you're doing to yourself. Because again, I haven't seen like a communion tray being passed and someone dying after that. But I have seen Christian people who are here, but not really here. I've seen people who, you know, spiritually just aren't really doing anything. And in reality, I think it's killing them. I think for coming out of COVID for our church and churches in general, I, I talk to pastors um, who've church, who've churches have been open like in other parts of the country uh, for longer and pretty much consistently people say it's about 30% of the attendance that you had before. And, and hopefully, you know, as people get more and more comfortable, eventually more and more people will come back. Those of you who are online, I, I don't want to make you feel bad. This isn't some sort of guilt trip, but I hope that one thing that we all collectively realize coming out of COVID is perhaps church attendance used to be a habit and now it's not anymore. And perhaps like it was just something that you did on, on autopilot and now it's not anymore. And I understand that, you know, we need some time and, and we need to continue to, to see uh, the numbers get better and better. And we're listening to uh, the CDC uh, for guidance. But I hope that now, more than ever, as we come to that place, eventually that you recognize that even like your church attendance is a spiritual practice. And that forever from this moment, you don't just consider like coming together to something that's on autopilot. Because again, I've seen Christian people who are here, but they aren't really here. And because of whatever it is that they're deceiving themselves about or the story that they're telling themselves, like it just isn't really actually deeply impacting their life. And so I haven't seen somebody keel over and die, but I've certainly seen people, their face just doesn't really seem to matter all that much to them. I think this is a warning for all of us to take it seriously. And to then understand the, the stories that you're telling yourself about whatever it is, you've got to be really careful. Because you can be just like that guy at that AA meeting who's in his 30s, you know, probably somebody from Wall Street or a really important job in New York. And yeah, he's there because he knows, like, I kind of have a problem and I've wrecked my life a little bit. But it's really like that person's problem. It's really that issue. And it's that issue. That it's because, like, this happened to me. It isn't just, like, what happens. It's then the stories that we tell ourselves. It's the cover-up. Just ask Bill Clinton, or preachers who've screwed their lives up. It's not just the thing, it's also then how you lie about the thing. Great, the great philosopher Ron Swanson says, I hate liars. There's only one thing I hate more than lying, skim milk, which is water that's lying about being milk. 
And I hear this story and I, and I read it, and it's, it's not just that they held some back. They could have come forward at the very beginning and just said, hey, you know, Peter and the church, sorry that we can't be like those people who are a little bit more holy than me or whatever. I'm sorry that we can't be exactly like them, but like, here's, you know, 75% or here's 30%, and this is going to make a difference in the world. But it's they've conspired, they've decided that they are not going to allow God to like, convict their heart anymore. So they're dead. And again, in this story, it actually happens. Again, I haven't seen that in the church, and I hope I don't see that in the church. But I hope that we all take this seriously. And when we come together, it isn't just a habit. It's something that we are doing to try and pursue God together. And I hope for all of us, we get out of ourselves a little bit and think about what God wants of our lives and how God sees our story. It's so important at times, and I think it's in community that we sometimes hear hard things about ourselves and we're convicted. And of course, like we're broken and there's sin in all of us. And so sometimes we need to hear from somebody else. Like how is my behavior affecting you. I think of the story of, of David, who is king over Israel, and he sees Bathsheba bathing, and he ends up in, in a relationship with her. And so instead of just like confessing that, he has her husband killed. This is a very long story, but he ends up having her husband killed to cover it up. And then the prophet Nathan comes to David and tells him this story about this very rich man who is very wealthy and has all of these animals. And this rich man interacts with this poor man who is traveling through and the poor man has just one little lamb. And the rich man decides like, we're gonna eat this lamb, this little lamb. And David gets indignant. I can't believe, I can't believe that this rich man would do that. He's got so much wealth. Why would he take just the one lamb from this poor man? And Nathan says to David, you are the man. And it's not in the way we use it today. Not you are the man. No, it's like you are the man. And this is something that I hope that God does for me and that I hope that God does for you at times. We're convicted because of the community that we have together. And in those moments, you could continue to just tell that story and continue to just live into a different reality and to live from your pride and to be stuck in yourself. Are you willing at times to say, I still need to learn from this. I still need to hear this hard thing. And I'm not going to continue in this cycle of, of lying. I'm going to continue to do this because what this destroys isn't like the other people. It destroys me. It ends up in a place where we're not able to become more of who God wants us to be. N.T. Wright, the great New Testament theologian, says this, the real deep level problem about lying is that it misuses or abuses the highest faculty 
we possess, the gift of expressing in clear speech the reality of who we are, what we think, and how we feel. It is, as it were, the opposite of the gift of tongues. Lying is ultimately a way of declaring that we don't like the way it is, and we will pretend that it is somehow more the way we want it to be. At that level, it is a way of saying that we don't trust God the Creator to look after His world and sort it out in His own way and time. When we are misguided and not truthful in the ways that we talk about our story and the ways that we talk about our lives. We are saying, God, we don't like the world the way that you've set it up. And so, you know, I'm not going to give all of what I made, so I'm going to like hold a little behind just because I don't fully trust you, but then I'm going to go in front of the church like, oh, I'm just, you know, among everyone else. Everyone else is doing this. We dramatically are doing this uh, as well. And for this moment, it's for us all, I think, to realize how seriously we need to be taking community and how seriously we need to be taking like the times when somebody says to us, hey, you know, I've, I've noticed that about you. Or, hey, like, I, I need to have a conversation with you about this. And I think it's a dramatic example that happens in this early church to help us all as followers of Jesus to realize how seriously we should be taking this. Because this isn't just a story about money, though, of course, I think that we need to be generous in how we use our money in the world. But it's also about like talents and gifts and how you can hold back things from God that you have that you know is God's and then just tell a story to make yourself feel a little bit better about it. And we all need to be generous and how we give. And as a church, we have a responsibility to hold each other to a high standard. As I read this story, what I think the problem is in like the modern church, and I would say this is a problem and an issue, not just in, in our church, but in churches in general, is not that our standards are, are too low. It's that our standards just aren't really anything at all. It's not high enough. It's not a high bar. Like, this is what following Jesus means. It means that you take this stuff seriously. And what I think is, is so interesting about this passage is it has this dramatic story where two people die. And that's just like, whoa, again, isn't this an Old Testament story? What's going on? This is really strange. And then just a few verses later, it tells us this in Acts chapter 5, verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. What? That doesn't seem like a church growth strategy at all. You know, like a couple people died. It's like, hey, you know, a couple people died at this church. You ought to go check it out. Like for us, it's like, hey, you know, they got really good coffee there. They had, it's like, whoa, a couple people died. You should go check out the preacher. He's like really handsome. It's not like Glendale. Like, you know, all these things like that we could talk about, about, you know, why you should go to this church or that church. But this is like a couple people died. And their numbers are still being added. And it's, I think, because they all realize in this moment, like, this is how dramatic this is, and it takes us all like, taking this really seriously. And I'm not just going to live in a reality that is just kind of about like, keeping God away from me I'm not just going to make church a habit that I, that I do just to feel a little bit better for 30 minutes. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's about getting outside of ourselves and saying, God, 
I've sold this property, or God, I have this talent, or God, I have this gift, or God, I've been blessed with this money. God, what do you want me to do with it? And I'm going to come before you. I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to believe that you can convict me. I'm going to believe in the things that you would call me to do in this moment with my gift or my talent or whatever it is that I have. Because in a world of deceit and selfishness, it's a group of people that would take this seriously. I think it would change the world. I was listening to a podcast with Christine Kane who is a fantastic a preacher and, and author. My wonderful wife, Mandy, often will recommend me listening to a podcast, so shout out to her. She had listened to this one and said, we need to listen to this one together, and she was totally right. But um, in this podcast, Christine Kane uh, said this, which I think is, is so true. She said, because we've spent the last 20 years in the church talking about gifts, talents, and what God has called you to do, we mix that with a sense of entitlement that I think we all have. I only need to do what makes me content. You're going to end up with a Christianity that's not based on the Bible if you're doing that. I think that's true. I'm going to be part of this, this faith community. I'm going to be part of this thing only as, as long as it like, you know, can give me you know, good vibes. That's not following Jesus. And it's not taking seriously what it looks like to follow a savior who gave up his life and then created this church movement in Acts where people are, are, are sharing in this together and, and dramatically living out the witness, the thing that they've been called to as they follow Jesus. It's so dramatic. And serious that when somebody holds something back and starts to just tell a little bit of a lie, they literally die. And may we, if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, take this really seriously. And if you're not yet, I'm so glad that you're watching. I'm so glad that you're here and that you would actually consider, like, what is it that God might be calling you to do? Because there is a living God who asks certain things of us. And sure, we can live our life just talking about all the things that, you know, somebody did wrong to me in my past, and that's just going to be the thing that I live out of forever. May we stop being lost in ourselves. Because we read Acts chapter 2 and see the ways that the church is meeting together and dramatically doing all this great stuff for Jesus, and what we would say about those people is they are lost in community and not in themselves. And may we be lost in community. May we be truthful about ourselves and take seriously the calling that God has placed on all of our lives. We're going to worship now. And as we close, we are going to be singing the, the great song, new song mix with a hymn, Amazing Grace, my, my chains are gone. And I think about that message, my, my chains are gone. The things that I was once holding on to, like those things don't describe me anymore. And of course that has to do with sin, and that's definitely a, an understanding of sin, but it's not just about sin. It's about how we view our stuff. It's about how we view our resources. Our chains are gone. So please don't act like you're in them anymore. 
Because we are following a Savior who daily asks us to give our lives away. So let's pray and then we'll sing together. God, may we all be open to your spirit and calling. May we seriously consider who it is that you are calling us to be. And may we not just do this a little bit, but completely live into the things that you've called us to. In your son Jesus, I pray. Amen.